0: Uh, become it's become such a tradition to go to Mass on Christmas Eve that I sometimes wonder if the people who come on Christmas Day it's because Santa didn't come to your house (laughs) all of you were on the naughty list which therefore includes me (laughs) but uh, you know I know some people of course have have the tradition of coming on Christmas Day which is fantastic and It's wonderful to have everyone here, and I know we have visitors, uh, family members, friends, or maybe just people from out of town or or around, and we're very grateful and happy that you've joined us this day. It is so good that we are here. What a beautiful day to celebrate, not necessarily weather-wise, but uh, it's trying to snow, right? We just uh, were a few degrees too high. Imagine if you will that you are an author and you're going to write your masterpiece a novel. You're gonna write this novel and so as in all novels you're you're thinking of all these characters. right? You're creating these characters in your head and and to create those characters, you, you, have to, you have to really know them. You have to know their backstory, you have to know what's going to happen. But at a certain point, you put them down on paper, all these characters, you create them. And as an author, you, you even kind of love them. You know, you grow to know them uh, intimately. And let's just say, let's just say that you could... Endow those characters with free will. Let's just say that, just go with me on this. Let's say you could give those characters free will. Because not only do you love them, but you know that for them to love you back, you have to give them free will. Without free will, a being cannot love. And so let's say you do that. And the characters now that you've written into this book have free will. And then very soon after, they begin to hurt each other. They begin to sin against each other. And therefore they begin to suffer. Uh, They they have joy and they have goodness, but they also have this mixture of, of evil that has entered in. Because with their free will... They're now doing a bunch of things you never designed them to really do as characters, right? If you just controlled them as characters and you just wrote their story, they would do whatever you wanted. But having given them free will, now they get to choose. And they're basically messing up your novel. (laughs) It's becoming a mess, right? It's out of control. What are you to do as the author to get it back? Well, you might, you might design another character and send that character into the novel to tell the people to, to knock it off. To get their act together. Or to tell them, hey, there's, a, there's someone above who created you as characters. He cares about you. And that might go so far. But it wouldn't do the trick, if it, as it were, to bring it all back into harmony. But what if you as the author could write yourself into the book and you could enter into the the very story that you created so that now you could communicate directly to your people and tell them that you had created them, that you love them, and that you'd like to set things right? This is obviously uh, an analogy for The incarnation of Christ. The enfleshment of Christ. God who has created all things, but stands outside of it, because he's not a part of it. He created all things and also created human beings with the capacity to choose. But in giving them that power, obviously things went awry. Many things went wrong. Evil occurred. Sin occurred. Bad things entered the story. And God sent the prophets, right? He wrote some people into the story. He sent them. He spoke through them. And that, that had some effect. But it didn't fix anything, really. It, it did tell the people there was a God who loved them, a God above, who was there for them, but it didn't rectify the situation. And so God himself enters into the story, enters into creation. And in a certain way, I've said this before, in a certain way, he takes responsibility for what happened. Now he didn't, uh, he didn't cause sin, he didn't want people to sin or, or to do evil, but he gave everyone the capacity to do it. Uh, You know, in a similar way with a parent. You know, you get older as parents and then you got these knucklehead kids not doing all the stuff they should do. And you you told them to do it, but they they don't do it. You know, they're not living... I hear it all the time. You tell me all the time. (laughs) My kid's this, my kid's that. Well, there's a certain part of you that feels responsible. Even though you're really not, because they're grown and they make their own choices. But a parent always feels responsible for whatever their kids do. And so God is very similar or, or we probably would more appropriately say we are similar to God. God takes responsibility. He doesn't stand afar off, but he enters in to our world, into the creation. And there he seeks to tell us about himself, to tell him how to tell us how, how much he loves us. To tell us that He came for us and that He has a plan for how to fix things. And that plan is Himself. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that uh, Jesus was the only man ever to be born solely that He would die. The whole point, the main point of Jesus, God, entering into His own creation was so that He could fix it. So that He could redeem it. So He could forgive our sins and take away the power of evil. Evil still exists. People still choose. But the power is gone. It has been defeated. And you might say, well, how is it defeated? Father, I still feel evil in my life. I still have pain and suffering in my life. How is it defeated? It's not defeated insofar as it no longer need be endured, but the final say no longer is with evil and suffering. Why didn't Jesus just take it away? No doubt that would have been a wonderful thing. Life without any suffering or sacrifice. And yet, instead of doing so, the Lord showed us that we would need to keep it But he would redeem it suffering and sacrifice that now it would have meaning now it would be what we call redemptive and so the lord comes in the most humblest of ways as a child coming to us in an unassuming way in a vulnerable way now how can you not accept the Christ child who comes to us in this fashion. its The Lord is not leveraging His power on us. Coercing us. You know, it's like when somebody hands you a baby. And you, you, you know, I want to drop the baby. You know, of course, I don't know what I'm doing. No, I do. You know, a little bit. But until the baby starts crying, you're like, oh, this is great. Wah! Okay, take it back. Um But, you know, when the little ones are born and you hold them, and I mean, it's wonderful. It's one of the great, great kind of moments, I think, of all of our lives. I think of when my nieces and nephew were born and they were so little. And even your little ones, when you hand them over until you take them back because they start crying right away. But, you know, it's a wonderful moment. Think back to when your children were born. What a beautiful, intimate moment that is, that was. This is the kind of way that God is offering himself to us in Jesus Christ. And he tells us today, I have a plan. I have a plan for the world. I have a plan for you. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. I am here for you. In your suffering, in your pain, in your sacrifice, in your joys, in your goodness, I am here for you. People have all kinds of Of course, feelings about God. I'm sure there are plenty of people here who are running from God. People here who are wondering if they believe in God. God will never abandon any of us. Even if we abandon him. Even in our sin, God doesn't abandon us. He's always there, waiting. He will always be there for every single one of us. And this is why it is so good we are here today. And yeah, no matter, you know, everybody's in a different place spiritually, and that's, that's okay. But what we share in common is our God, Jesus Christ, who offers himself completely to us. And there we find our hope, our strength, and all the grace that we need in our lives. Please stand.